Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 125. Hello, guys. So, uh, how are your toys? See, I got my new Apple Watch upgraded from a Series 0 all the way to a Series 3 with LTE. Um, yeah, so far so good. I mean, for the most part, it's it's not that different than my previous one other than it's faster. And battery life, even with the LTE, seems to be really good, comparably speaking. I've been... You know, today I've had the watch on for gosh, probably about uh, 15, 16 hours now and still at 86% battery. It's nice. Now, do you go around pointing your watch at people, telling them you're going to shoot them with your little wrist laser? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to buy one of those sticker packs so Make I can Make little pew, pew, pew the... noises. <laughs> are, you gonna, are you one of the people who wants to get like a plain black one to put it over the red? Because... <laughs> Yeah, Sharpie can take care of that. Oh yeah, that would be easier. It's not. It's not too bad. If... <laughs> I, I, my watch is black, so it's it's not too bad. Uh, well, what is that dot used for? It's to tell everybody else that I spent more money on my watch. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, does it have any other purpose other than you know, aesthetics? Because if, for instance, that was how the LTE signal escaped out of it or something, then I would be concerned with putting paint on it. Yeah. Well, no. As what... far as I know, it's not functional. I think it's... Remember, it's the a... uh, the screen is the antenna. That was They made a big okay. deal about that in the keynote. Yeah. yeah, I think some of the earlier watches had a slightly different dial based on which band you got with it. I don't Not like green or blue, but, you know, silver or, or dark gray. There were even, I thought there were some ones, like some of the more expensive ones that had like a red dot or some other dot that matched the band you got with it. So you had to be careful about what band you got. Yeah, it was, Mm. yeah. I don't know what they were thinking with all the different colored dots. (laughs) It seems like it just messes up different band combinations if you get one. I don't know why they don't just make it like the same color as the rest of the crown. Maybe it looks... It's their signature look. Who knows? Some of them, you can't even pick a different band. So you're kind of... I think I have three sport bands now that I'm not using. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would just go into the wife's uh, little drawer there and uh, pull out some nail polish and cover up that red dot myself. Or Or, add it. (laughs) Or you could put little black dots on it and call it your ladybug dial. (laughs) Oh. I don't. Know. I don't just... know. I'm not. I'm not spending. What is it? Four hundred bucks or something like that on a, a new watch, and then putting nail polish on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could spend ten dollars for a sticker, a pack yeah. of three stickers. You so, could. I don't know if I would actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if they're giving you three of them, that the quality is not necessarily there, and you're just going to be buying another three pack in a couple more months. Yeah, we're talking about what's it called, like watchdots.com or something like that. And they, it's funny, their website's like, we have pressure sensitive adhesive that adheres more closely the the more heat and pressure that is applied to it. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's called a hairdryer. You can, you can heat up a lot of adhesives like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, you like your, your new Apple Watch, Alex? Seems like it's a pretty good upgrade over the Series Zero. 
for sure. Yeah, for the most part, it's definitely snappier. Um, it's, it's the battery life seems pretty good. It's waterproof. Yeah, all all good things. But functionally, it's not really all that different, to be honest. No, but I would assume that things like Sprite Kit notifications would perform better. Just look a little uh-huh. nicer. I think going from the zero to the three, there performance is noticeably better yeah. well zero to anything was zero to one or two is noticeably better yeah because zero only had the single core right and then the second generation set of watches had dual cores correct i think you're right i, I probably don't don't remember the <laughs> exact specs uh, having skipped the the middle uh versions of of the watch I thought maybe the Series Series One had an updated processor, but the two had dual core. But maybe they were both dual core. I remember us trying to figure this out like a year ago. So, <laughs> it, yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, I got my new Apple TV 4K. It's pretty cool. Um, I I got a couple movies that I've been waiting to see. Uh, watched them in 4K HDR, so that was fun. Logan's a pretty good movie if you haven't seen it. So. <laughs> I might have to try that one. It's a good one. I, I'm hoping there's some emulators that can take advantage of the better GPU too. Some more advanced ones than they have now. Should be interesting to see if some of that happens. You want that 4K Super Nintendo experience? No, more like the 3D 3D consoles. Maybe that would be cool. But yeah. so the, the new Apple TV doesn't have the USB-C port, correct? That, that is, is correct. correct. Yep. So how do you get the emulators onto the Apple TV? Can you do that wirelessly then? Well, yeah. So just like... Um, oh, yeah. It, it, you built it from Xcode, right? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah, you could build from source or you could... I guess you could sideload. I don't know. Well, I'm, I guess you could... If you had a signed, signed um, IPA, IPA, you could put it on there. But, I mean, the the gist of it is you have to go into like... The, the same place where you like pair your remotes on the Apple TV settings, you go in there and then Xcode, it like broadcast and Xcode sees it as a device. So you basically add it wirelessly and it collects all the debug symbols wirelessly, which takes a while. Um, and then you've got that little globe icon uh, next to your Apple TV and it shows up in your sources that you can run on. So it's... I don't know. Have you guys tried the wireless debugging much with your, with any of your other devices? Not at all. Honestly, no. I I've done it a had... couple times with my iPhone 7. Um, Most of the stuff I've worked on, I haven't really needed the mobility of being wireless. I think if I were, I were doing AR kit or something something with like the um, altimeter or something like that, accelerometer, you know, maybe I'd be more inclined to do wireless, but... It's faster over the wire. Yeah, it definitely seems faster. Although, I'm I was surprised about the amount of logs that it can push over without noticeably affecting the performance. So, I mean, it's not a horrible experience doing the debugging. It, it seems like Apple is preparing us for you know, bit by bit for the iPhone that doesn't have any ports on it. But we'll see about that. Well, yeah, we got the wireless charging in the ten, right? So. Yeah. Why does it even have a lightning port at this point? It's fast charge, I think, is the the big reason. Well, and I'm More not sure, anything. like, if you if you brick your 
your Apple TV, like if there's a way to restore it or if you're just kind of stuck. I don't know how you'd brick your Apple TV. It'd probably be pretty hard, but I know I know the I've been seeing on Twitter some of the people who do the Apple TV jailbreaks have been kind of complaining about all that stuff because it kind of makes it harder to, well, to mess with stuff and then restore back to a good state so that they can try other stuff. Yeah, well, it's been bad anyway because I think starting with the Gen 3 Apple TV, Apple stopped powering on the USB port until the device was fully uh, booted up. So that it really put a damper on people hacking the OS. I don't know if the four does the same thing, but I don't see why it wouldn't. Well, there's no USB port, but <laughs> well, not not the 4K, but at the the last oh. last years, the Apple TV four. Gotcha. I mean, you can do a restore on iTunes with it, but yeah, that's about all you can do, other than load up your own apps. Yeah, I, I do kind of miss the original Apple TV. Do you guys remember that one? It, it was basically a the PC. like a Mac Mini. Yeah, it's like a Mac Mini basically running OS X Tiger. <laughs> yeah. It was people, a X86. People did a lot of cool stuff with that. Yeah. Was it X86? I thought it was. Just I thought it was just a basic PC. Yeah, it could have been an X86. I don't even remember. But yeah, that was a that's where the whole Apple TV kind of hacking scene started and you could do a lot of stuff cuz it was basically just like a super cheap like $300 home theater PC that was pretty good for the time but yeah they've they've kind of gone the other direction although we have apps now and you can do a lot of stuff now that you couldn't really do before yeah i guess it, it could have been running a, a, a power pc motorola chip it's i have to reach back pretty far to find that one out so yeah uh apple tv watch nobody got phones right anybody in your family get eights no, no eights no no new phones here I'm still kind of on the fence about the 10. Are you? You have a 7, right? Yeah, I have a 7 now. Kind of reluctantly have a 7, right? <laughs> yeah, forced upgrade. Yeah. You were yeah. you were correct, Sam. Sorry, real-time follow-up. But the the thing that they originally called iTV, I don't know if you remember that, but uh, the first-gen Apple TV had an Intel Pentium M in it. Ah. So, and the yeah. other good thing I noticed, too, this is sorry to go off on a tangent, but... The uh, the fourth gen, the original fourth gen, had a Apple A8 in it, which is kind of that processor they were using on a bunch of phones, even when they like did the SE and stuff like that. And that is the first chip that has hardware support for H.265. So oh. it looks so that'll be good if you have a original fourth gen Apple TV. You'll still be able to get hardware acceleration on your H.265. So that's that's that makes me feel good because I've got a lot of those original fourth gen apple tvs in my house on my <laughs> non-4k tv so isn't the h265 that's their new video format not new format but that's what they announced at uh, dub dub this year right yeah they announced support for it it's it's not not apple's format but yeah it's yeah. their new it, it's supposed to be much better for high def content um but if you try to cpu encode it or decode it it can really kill uh, even a high-end desktop processor. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes, so it's good that it has that. But what were you guys talking about? <laughs> Phones. The, the iPhone 8 and versus the iPhone 10 and whether that's on anybody's uh, wish list. I'm still looking forward to my iPhone 10 whenever I 
end up getting it. I think it'll be a cool yeah. phone. I will probably end up getting one. Um, I'm kind of more excited about whatever comes after that, after they get you know, some of the kinks worked out. But I don't know, maybe, it, maybe it'll be great. Um, Mac Rumors posted an article about uh, iPhone 8 drop test with the glass back shattering repeatedly, so holds up well i hope no <laughs> no oh bummer <laughs> so not, the 10 won't either that's great not, not compared to the 7 which doesn't have glass on the back obviously right. so yeah. you know the 7 comes out much better for that perspective. okay so, so i'm gonna need a case <laughs> yeah it sounds like it all right that's easy enough we get a case yeah so we'll see we've got a a few more weeks before pre-orders for the 10 and go from there i can i have time to decide maybe just yeah, wait for, for the iMac Pro <laughs> the iMac Pro I'm holding out for the Mac Pro personally <laughs> yeah I don't know that's my Hackintosh has been kind of buggy lately so I'm hoping it's early 2018 not late late 2018 December like it looks yeah. like the iMac Pro will be yeah I think I think the Mac Pro is gonna be out of ways but we'll see yeah so you know a lot of times Apple will do a like early fall event and then a October event, but do you think they even have anything to do in October? Well, they have the iMac Pro and the HomePod scheduled for release in December, so it's possible that they'll do that. Do I wonder if we get that? like a November event or something like that, which would not be their norm, but it seems like with the pre-orders for the iPhone 10 happening October 27th, it'd be very strange to have a October event. And a $5,000 computer is not necessarily the atypical Christmas gift. No, they pretty much announced that, right? Yeah. At, at DubDub. And just even the with the, the Mac Pro, I don't think they had a second event. They they talked about it as a preview, I guess, at the at DubDub one year. And then... It came out in December of that year. I think they started taking orders in December of that year. I think it took up to six months for people to actually get <laughs> get them delivered. But that's a whole different story. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure not, it doesn't have the highest priority, but <laughs> no, their their consumer division is much higher priority these days. Well, that that Mac Pro was uh, they had just brought the manufacturing to the u.s for that mac pro and i think there might have been some supply chain challenges there yeah it's very likely and it could be you know if well i don't think we'll see the new foxconn manufacturing site in the u.s this year or in time for the mac pro oh no so i i think i suspect that'll be uh, manufactured in China. Honestly, I'm not sure how how soon. Not to get too political, but it's kind of up in the air whether that Foxconn factory will actually even happen. They've made promises like this before. Uh, Pennsylvania was supposed to get some facility, and they're still waiting on that. But we'll see. Yeah. So uh, moving on from hardware, uh, we you know iOS 11 shipped. Uh, the, Today we're recording Mac OS High Sierra has shipped to the general public. Um, have you guys upgraded your Macs yet? So I've been running the beta for a while. Um, and then after I had that mother or logic board replacement, 
I've had to do manual updates these days, so I'm not even sure if I, if I won't have to do another full install or not. I updated to the GM on my laptop, which is like my secondary computer, um, when the GM came out, although it looks like the, the actual release is slightly different, um, and it's been running fine for me, but I did have to do the basically the full install you had to download the whole you know mac os high sierra app and then install it when that happened so i'm assuming that's what you're gonna have to do sam i thought it was kind of interesting though you know how there's the watch unlock feature in sierra if you have a series three watch you need high sierra actually have you run across that alex yeah yeah i was trying (laughs) to figure out why it stopped working and uh, i looked it up uh it went in the settings and yeah it said i i had to upgrade in order Which to enable it with my watch. Seems kind of weird, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, this has the W2 chip in it, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but maybe something with the way it does the handshake. Uh, maybe it needs High Sierra for that. But, yeah, I'm waiting for the the NVIDIA web drivers for my main computer, my Hackintosh. Oh, so I, I assume they're usually pretty good at getting those on launch day. They haven't done any betas yet, so hmm. there's people who are like, what's going on here? Are we yeah, going to get unusual. drivers or not? So I mean, we'll see. It seems like Apple made some type of commitment for, you know, support for these GPUs. They did, yeah. So yeah. we'll see what happens. I'm Hopefully by the next podcast, I'll be updated. But Maybe it was, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you uh, first class support on Mac OS if you cut out this... Uh, web driver business <laughs> well, i think they were just doing the web drivers as like an unsupported thing kind of because apple had not shipped any nvidia processors like that for a while yeah but hmm. yeah it seems like so far so good although there's been some some reports of some issues with high sierra that people are working on there's some security vulnerability i saw on twitter too so maybe good that i have to wait a little bit for <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds yeah, like that normal launch day kinds of issues yeah this one's a little weird i don't know if it's i i think it's specific to high sierra but an unsigned app can basically print out passwords in clear text from keychain and probably a little bit more to it than that but um yeah definitely waiting for an update for that all right so um probably you know now that uh ios 11 it can be shipped to the app store Xcode 9's gold, so are you guys uh, switching over to Swift 4 or or even touching that at all? I, I'm holding back on that right now. I have a app that I, I've worked on it uh, for the last few weeks pretty heavily, and I've got it to a, a beta point, but it's using Xcode 8 and Swift 3, and I'm currently working on an Android port of that because I want to release these two simultaneously, and so I'm just not wanting to focus on that right now. So I actually have in my App Store updates the upgrade to Xcode 9 still pending. I had to revert back on our build server uh, for Xcode 9 just because we had some builds we needed to get out to address some iOS 11 ghost crashes that kind of popped up. Uh, Once you actually get volume in your users, there's these like ad SDK crashes that are happening now that seem to happen kind of every major OS release on Apple. Uh, so yeah, we're still, our iPhone 10 update's not ready, so we're still building off the the iOS 10 SDK. Um, but it sounds like you've been having some some fun with Swift 4, Alex. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my main projects, I, I migrated to Swift 4 pretty early. Um, but uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been moving to the Swift Codable for my JSON parsing. And this is a fairly sizable app, so I converted about just a little under 100 model objects uh, to use Swift 4 and JSON parsing with Codable. And that's been kind of interesting. I'm definitely starting to get... Uh, it's a lot of model objects. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's a fairly large application, obviously. And, uh, you know, some of it was in Objective-C, so I kind of took the opportunity to migrate at least uh, the bottom layer uh, to Swift where I can. So it was, you know, probably a good two plus days just to convert all those over and then now working on my network layer. So remind me the the benefits of Codable. I know it has like some, basically if you implement the protocol, you get like automatic JSON parsing. Is that right? For the basic scenarios. So okay. if, as long as you follow the rules and uh, your, your property names match the JSON strings uh, properties, then it's, you can, Pretty much just define your properties, impl implement the Codable protocol, or declare that that uh, your class or struct is adheres to the Codable protocol, and then uh, then you're you're good to go in theory. Uh, but in practice, it doesn't always work out that way. You know, one thing that you know I would like to see. I don't know if I'll get this, but it'd be nice if you could change the behavior. For the keys, instead of maintaining the the camel case, it'd be nice if it had an option to do snake case for the JSON properties. Snake uh, case is that where you put an underscore in there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, that's to me that seems more common, and it seems like the uh, the when it synthesizes the encode decode methods, it could could translate that camel case into snake case. I usually see camel case, but sometimes when you're consuming a service that's written in .NET, it'll have a camel case, but with an initial capital, and that throws things off. Oh, that, yeah, it yeah, seems like it's all, it's all based on, yeah, the source language of your services. But yeah, I've seen, I've seen both. It's, I feel like it'd be nice if there is a standard, but in lieu of that, yeah. it seems like it'd be better to be able to be a little bit more flexible yeah yeah you can override any of that behavior so like if all you need to do is change the keys you can implement the coding create a coding keys uh, enum that implements coding key or adheres to coding key and then you can override those those key names and then you can override the init and the uh the encode methods if you if you need special behavior but it's it's fairly flexible it's not necessarily obvious at first but you know probably like any json parser you have to figure out the idiosyncrasies of it and to work with different types of message formats you know you know some formats generate unique keys uh with it for each entry in a in a collection so it 
it can get kind of messy depending on what you're working with, but uh, it has enough flexibility that you can pretty much work around anything that comes up. And since so, it's built into the platform, it's kind of a no-brainer, I think. So we're not going to... All the all the 10 billion JSON parsing libraries are going to be gone? Is that what I I'm think, hearing? Yeah, I think eventually we'll, we'll see them go away or provide syntactic sugar over what's there currently or what the Swift Forward brings to the table. Okay. Do you get anything else with Codable other than the JSON stuff? You can do property lists. There's no like XML or anything like that. It's it, right now. It's just JSON or or property lists. But you can uh, you can implement your own encoders and decoders if you need a different format. You know, I okay. don't know if you could do a uh, um, protobuf or something like that. Maybe maybe you could. Seems uh, like that would be cool. Um, maybe you don't need to do that for protobuf, but. Yeah, you can you can override just about everything. You you can set your own strategies for dealing with different date formats. There's a, several different variations out there. Uh, you know, like .NET has its own slight variation uh, for the date format. So yeah, you can deal with that. Um, one interesting thing is with the codable protocol that has to be defined on the class or struct itself you can't do that in an extension because it uh the way it synthesizes the the methods hmm. uh just currently expects it to be not in a an extension so that's a little bit weird i had that's thought about so using <clears throat> sorcery to generate uh some of the boilerplate when i'm like basically do what i talked about with the snake case use sorcery to automatically convert the camel case to snake case but uh, that wasn't good. the way sorcery works it puts everything in an extension so I couldn't do that completely but but you can put the coding keys in an extension so it may, may be something I could get away with to some degree huh so, well yeah. so so you were telling us um, a couple days ago about all this this fun work you've been doing uh, in Slack, and then I think it was Chris Latner tweeted out early today to this uh, QuickType.io website that seems like it's kind of cool. Looks like they have basically it, it generates your codable model objects for you uh, for Swift four and a bunch of other different languages. So that's kind of useful. Maybe uh, would it have worked for you, Alex? You think or I think to some degree. I think you know the way the way this tool works is you copy and paste a a block of JSON in, and it'll generate your model objects with your coding keys and everything for you. And it, it seems to do a reasonably good job. I mean, it's got to do some interpretation because JSON doesn't really define types. So, you know, it's going to have to try and figure out, is this a string or a date or, or what? Uh, right. If you have values that can sometimes be null and you've got nulls in your example, it it'll assume that it has a helper class to do a JSON null to handle that, but it may or may not do the right thing there. I think it could have saved me a decent amount of time. Uh, one thing I did like about that is it put the coding keys into an extension when it generated the code. But you know, having gone through about 100 different model classes, I 
think I probably could have benefited from that tool a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> well, at least our listeners will, will now know about it. So if they're trying to do the same thing, they'll, they can not suffer all that that you went through. Yeah. And I've got to call out Ben Sherman's got, you know, the title of the article is the ultimate guide to JSON parsing with Swift 4. And it's, you know, so far it's the best documentation I found uh, on the Codable protocol. So highly recommend checking that article. I've, I've referenced it many times. Cool. I'll have to get that into the show notes. Um, and I, I think this is kind of an interesting trend and hopefully we'll see more of it where some of this boilerplate code starts becoming things the compiler can generate for you. It, I don't know how well it fits into Chris Latner's original vision of not having things like preprocessors in Swift, but um, on the heels of Codable, we've got Equatable and Hashable generators coming. I don't think that made it into Swift 4.0, but it should be there in in an upcoming, upcoming point release. It should be pretty cool. It's exciting. Basically, the way I look at it is things that sorcery or like IntelliJ idea would generate for you. Um, could potentially, it'd just be baked into the Swift uh, compiler. You got anything else? <laughs> no, I think that's it. I'm, I'm still, I got my model layer all updated. Now I'm updating my network layer to be a, a little bit more concise. And so far, that's going well sounds fun well i think that's about all the time we have this week so why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet you can find me at aj robinson on twitter and you can find me at sam quarter on twitter you can find me at alex argo and you can find the podcast at shared inst uh come join us in our slack by getting an invite at chat.sharedinstance.com and we'll talk to you guys next week